0: i also have an i also own a dump junk um, a dump trailer junk removal company because one of the things that i learned from heb is you want to lo- own as much of the value chain as you can right so heb owns trucks they own manufacturing plants they own the the warehouses the stores, so they own as much of that as they can mm-hmm. because that allows them to control profitability so with real estate i'm trying to apply the same point of view right i want the construction arm i want the investor arm i want the junk removal arm because all of that ultimately feeds the other
1: all right everybody welcome to the real estate podcast today we have a very special guest we got robert martinez broker owner of moment realty Entrepreneur, part of the Entrepreneur Academy uh, and community, and he's a real estate investor, broker. Has done a lot in real estate, so I'm very uh, excited to have him on the podcast today and have him tell your story. Awesome. So, if you don't mind, uh, I really like to start it off by learning about where you're born, kind of how you grew up, sure, and kind of uh, what your childhood was like to to bring you to where you are today.
0: Okay, all right, great. Yeah, so um, I was born in Houston, so Pasadena, Texas, the South Houston area. Uh, I've lived in Texas my entire life, so I um, have an older brother. Um, so we lived, Pasadena area, my mom, primarily with my mom uh, from when I was two years old. And um, we lived there until junior high school, so we moved from Pasadena to a small town outside of Waco named Lorena. Most people don't know where that's at. That's about 15 miles south of Waco. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was in seventh grade, my brother was a freshman. We moved there, so spent you know six years, very different. Uh, place growing up culturally you know i grew up in south houston where you know it was uh, pretty high spanning in minority area to kind of fit in blended in well moved to a place that i was one of one of very few uh, non-caucasian folks so mm-hmm. had to make an adjustment but uh but it was a good change right you know i think getting exposure to different lifestyles different upbringings from moving from you know a, a lower income area to a more medium to high income area um, I think it opened my eyes to a lot of things in life, uh, but, you know, lived there, graduated high school uh, in 2000, and then uh, moved from uh, from the Lorena area to Austin, so I was in Austin to attend UT uh, for my undergrad in business from uh, 2000
1: to 2004. Okay, and it's uh, Lorena?
0: Yeah, Lorena, L-O-R-E-N-A.
1: Got it, <laughs> and so moving from, when did y'all move to uh, Lorena?
0: Uh, so I was I was in seventh grade so uh, 94 got it so I was 13 okay uh, you know middle of middle school my brother was going into freshman year so you know it's kind of a the good thing about moving was you know I I was I was in sports I played football so that helped me kind of adjust and assimilate pretty quickly I was a fairly large young man at 13 um, almost as big as I am now so uh, you know I played pretty well and I I was able to fit in with the group pretty quickly when I got there
1: what uh what well, how'd y'all move from Pasadena to Lorena?
0: Yeah, uh, interesting story. My uh, my mom and dad actually uh, met in Waco. So my mom was born in the Waco area just north of Lorena. And um, my dad's family, uh, his younger two siblings, my aunt and uncle, went to Lorena High School. Um, so his, we actually moved into my grandfather's house in 94. My grandfather had passed away in 91, so nobody was living there. Um, so we actually moved into his home uh, to get us— Just into a different market, you know, my brother and I were in South Houston, not a great area, you know, a lot of gangs, a lot of uh, crime and bad things happening and Mm -hmm. we were kind of getting pulled into that lifestyle so luckily my mom was paying attention and said this probably isn't a good place. Uh, for my boys and figured out a way to get us out of there and into a different environment where a lot of that, none of that stuff was present uh, yeah. in Lorena.
1: Yeah. And what was the, uh, you had said as a big change, obviously from, you know, culturally and just uh, your surroundings. So what was kind of some of the you know biggest changes that you had to get accustomed to
0: yeah i mean i think um probably one of the biggest things was just you know everyone around me in the in the houston and south texas area or the south houston area was like me right it was i went to a school that was probably 80 85 hispanic um you know everybody kind of was in the same financial situation looking back i understand that now probably didn't know at the time why Mm -hmm. it felt different um, but the environment obviously has an influence on, on you, right? So the, 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 the gangs in the schools, the, the fights, all the things that were happening in the, in the, uh, in the Houston school, when we got to the Lorena school, you know, that, that wasn't a thing, right? You know, everybody, most people, not everybody, I'd, i guess 85%, you know, had both parents at the house. Um, they all seemed to be doing well financially. They all had name brand clothes and shoes and all these other things where that wasn't our norm right um, so it was definitely a, a obvious change in socioeconomic status and it was you know very different because it was I think Lorena is still today probably 90 plus percent Caucasian as far as the makeup of the community because it's a rural kind of a farming town primarily so that was different too because you know I didn't look like other people that was mm-hmm. that I was walking into and interacting with on a daily basis so that was a change and just we didn't have the same stories. We didn't have the same background, so we had to find something to relate with. And for me, that just became sports. Football. That became football, right? You know, uh, that is what was I think helped me make friends quickly because I basically landed. We moved that whatever weekend we moved. I don't remember the dates, but we moved that weekend, and then school started the next Monday or Tuesday, and football practice started the next Monday or Tuesday, and we were in it. Yeah. Um. So it was. What uh, position you play? Uh, then I think I was playing defensive tackle and uh, center, so I was a lineman. Okay. Because I was, I, I was 13, I was 5'9", 180 pounds. Yeah. So I was a big guy at 13.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay, and you uh, played football all the way through high school?
0: I did, yeah, yeah, I did. I um, I played uh, all the way through senior year, um, captain of the team when I graduated, you know, graduated fourth in my class. You know, I, I had a pretty, I had a very successful time in Lorena, so it was a great change for me because it exposed me to a lot of things that I don't think I would have got if I yeah. stayed in Houston, um, and then it helped me understand the possibilities of, you know, university, after high school, what do you do, what do you go pursue? Getting Before I got there, I don't think I had even considered what I would do after high school or what that might look like, because nobody really around me in, in the Houston area was going to college or, you know, getting out of high school was probably the goal, and that was probably it, right. had I stayed right yeah
1: and how about for your brother did he play sports or was it
0: he did yeah yeah he played sports uh he was more of a baseball guy he did play football uh, he didn't play football <laughs> senior year he was two years older than me but played baseball through junior year um you know he he took a different path uh you know my brother started a family pretty young um so he had to get into work i mean he went to school and he's actually a police officer now and he's a sheriff actually in McLennan county which is the waco area and he lives in Lorena. Okay. so he uh he nice. did leave for a while and lived in the surrounding areas, but, um, he has four boys, uh, between 25 and 15, almost 16 now. And they've all went to Lorena. They've all played football at Lorena. Um, they had a game on Friday. So they're, he's, he's living into that life, uh, in that environment still. And I think it's working well for them. Which That's is great.
1: Yeah. And so, uh, any, anybody in your family or growing up that was, uh, an, an entrepreneur or kind of promoted, you know, going into business for yourself or anything like that? In
0: my family, no. I would say no. I mean, I guess if I really think about it, there was probably one person in my life that that worked for himself, right? I had an uncle in Houston, my, my mom's probably oldest brother, my um, uncle Roy, and he was a contractor. So he did roofing and kind of sheetrock. He basically did maintenance work for a guy who owned, now that I know, he owned probably 50 rental properties because mm-hmm. every house we worked on worked for Mr. Hendricks. Yeah. Um, so he was probably the only person in my life that was working for himself but i don't i didn't get that bug i don't think from him um i'm not really sure where i picked up that uh, mentality but he was the only person that looking back in my family that had that experience or that you know didn't work a traditional like nine to five job right. around my around me and around my life yeah
1: and so when you're going up through high school i mean yeah. were you thinking about business at all or really just thinking about sports going to going to play college. Yeah, I mean, ball.
0: I, I always had the mindset that I wanted to do something in business. You know, my my motivation as a, as a young man was, you know, mostly from movies, right? I had a lot of influence from, you know, the original Wall Street, Michael Douglas, Charlie Sheen. Like I mm-hmm. when I went into University of Texas I, with finance, like I thought I was going to be an investment banker. Like right? I wanted to work in New York. I wanted to work on Wall Street and that was my that was the only direction or the idea that I had, but that was based on you know Hollywood. It wasn't based on anybody in right. my life. Right, right. It just sounded like a good idea. You know, having private jets and limos <laughs> and you know, five million dollar buildings sounded pretty interesting. So right. that, that was kind of the idea that I had when I got to school. That wasn't obviously what I ended up pursuing, but that's that's what got me focused on business. I was always good at math. I was always good at that um, type of thinking. And uh, interestingly enough, you know, this is a, a, a shout out to Lorena, I guess, but I. I ended up going my senior year was the first year I went into FFA Mm -hmm. because I was leaving sports. So my second semester and I ended up doing a class where we did something called farm business management. So it was basically the same idea of how to run a company, but it was your company was a farm. Yeah. And uh, I had never done it before, but we actually went to nationals the first year I was on the team. And we I think we placed fourth or fifth in nationals as when I was a senior in high school in farm business management.
1: What is the uh, business of a farm?
0: Well, I think if I recall the conversation, it was a lot around, um, you know, operating capital and cost, so running livestock, uh, managing the actual land for production, whether that was hay or wheat or whatever, and then looking at your expenses equipment, you know, how do you manage depreciation schedules? So I was learning that type of stuff Mm -hmm. in this program, not really understanding what it was, but it it was pretty math-based, so I understood the formulas, understood how to apply it. And I knew I was going toward business, so it, it made sense to me to, to start to learn that. But that's probably the one place that I started to really get my hands wrapped around the idea of running a business was in actually farm business management yeah. senior year.
1: No, it's cool. I've, uh, I've always been intrigued by uh, farms and ranches mm-hmm. and... Uh, I've heard that uh, ranches are uh, the only business where the sole goal is to not lose money. You know, you're just trying to break even, (laughs) and I I think it's more of a uh, real estate play, you know, long-term.
0: I agree, I mean, my, uh, you know, we'll we'll probably get to my my career after college, or or I guess when I started college uh, with HEB, I work for HEB for almost 20 years, and um, you know internally they talk a lot about that, right? We're we're a real estate company that also sells groceries. Interesting, because they own all of their stores, they own all of the dirt, and and a lot of times they even own the whole strip center that's attached to the um the store that they build so the, right. a lot of the a lot of the value uh, that the family has actually comes from the buildings and the real estate that they own right um which in now as, as an older man i understand that you know that's a lot of what a lot of companies done right the mcdonald's did that with the founder you watch the founder mm-hmm. the hb did the same thing um, but yeah i think the ranch business is the same thing it's all about the dirt and the long-term appreciation of the ranch not necessarily what you're producing on an annual basis.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And just cover your operating expenses. That's cover right. Taxes, mm-hmm. insurance, cost of cattle, feed, mm-hmm. all that stuff. That's um, right. So you went to UT uh, yes. to study finance, right?
0: I did. Yeah. So I have a bachelor's uh, from UT in finance. I graduated in 2004.
1: Okay. Yeah. And then uh, when you graduated, mm-hmm. uh, did you go apply at Wall Street or at investment banks or
0: anything um, like that? I, 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 yes and no. So um, UT has a really great program where they bring a lot of companies on site. Uh, the with, I don't know if it's still called the Ford Career Center, but Ford used to sponsor the Career Center where companies would come in, they interview for jobs. So there's a couple opportunities that I had in Chicago and New York, kind of as entry level, like I guess at the time it was probably like an analyst role to come in and start learning how to get into the business, um, but. I started working for H-E-B when I was a senior in high school, so I'd have a job moving from Lorena to Austin. That was Mm -hmm. kind of my only goal, but I was working full-time during my entire undergrad, so when I actually graduated from UT in 2004, I was already the third in charge of a store here in Austin on the Riverside store, and when I looked at the amount of money I was making from H-E-B versus my job offers in Chicago and New York with the adjustment of cost of living... I was actually making more money, so it would have cost me money to leave. Um, and at the time, you know, I had kind of shifted my mindset to continuing a path and career with H-E-B, running stores, running operations, uh, because I really felt like I was running a business and I ran the four walls of the store. Um, so it was achieving my goal of being an entrepreneur, you know, running a business. Uh, and H-E-B was also willing to fund a master's degree and continue allowing me to continue my education. So I ended up kind of turning down a couple of those investment offers or potential Wall Street offers I guess if you will uh, yeah. Chicago was the commodities but <laughs> yeah
1: that's pretty cool. I've heard yeah. uh, HEB is a great place to uh, work for.
0: Yeah, it really is. You know, I um, I work like I said. I worked there almost twenty years. Uh, my wife has been there for I think she's about to hit her twenty third anniversary. Wow. So she's still there. Um, her father actually <laughs> retired after forty one years. Wow. So um, was so he one of one the line. first? No. Uh, so my uh, my father in law uh, when he retired he was he was running a market in uh, in San Antonio. But he started I think he started senior high school as a as a grocery stalker and he worked in stores uh, in at San H-E-B? Antonio at HEB in San Antonio. Uh, In South Texas, in the Valley, and then retired uh, running the market uh, in San Antonio. So he spent 41 years in retail. Yeah.
1: Uh, Where was HEB started? Do you know?
0: HEB's first store was actually in Kerrville.
1: Kerrville. Yeah. So they started
0: in Kerrville, uh, and then they expanded down to the uh, Corpus region. Uh, They tried Del Rio. They tried another market. (laughs) Didn't work. But they started getting some foothold in Corpus. And then uh, started expanding into the San Antonio market.
1: And look at them now best grocery store in Texas. That's
0: right. That's right. I think uh, the last I heard, I think we're somewhere north of 400 stores across uh, the state between uh, Texas and and Mexico because there's also like 60 stores down there that they own.
1: I I don't think I've ever seen a uh, better grocery store than than HEB. No. Or like spinoffs like Central Market, I like as well. Yep. Yep. Uh, like my uh, my dad, he was born and raised and lived in Texas his whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, he moved to Florida in 2015, mm-hmm. and it, it just hasn't been the same for him. There's no no, no HEB. They got go Publ- to go Publix. to Publix is
0: okay, but they're you know they're not. I don't, not I don't think good. Publix is okay at <laughs> all. <laughs> some of them are. Maybe yeah. Yeah yeah they have they have some rough <laughs> stores too, but you know they're, they're 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 a good retailer too. But yeah, they're not as good as HEB.
1: Yeah. Okay, and so when you graduated, you yep. were. Uh, uh, Third in charge of the Riverside store?
0: Right, yeah. So I was, um, w- the position was like an assistant store director, or manager in charge. Um, so I was doing that and then um, started my master's degree at Texas State in San Marcos uh, the January of 05. Um, so I was a salaried leader um, running stores. I, what I did, what did you say
1: it is? Salaried leader. A salaried leader. So I was. Working, you know, 50, got it.
0: I only bring that up because I was working, you know, five ten hour shifts, working fifty hours a week, and going to do my master's degree at the same time. Right. Um, so it was a, it was a you know very busy time of life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was at the Riverside store when I started. Uh, I spent a year at the um, Oak Hill store at seventy one and then uh, I was at B Caves for a little while, and then I spent about a year, my last store uh, that I was in was Brody William Cannon, uh-huh. um, the HEB's bs there. And then uh, when I graduated with my MBA in 07, uh, my wife and I both moved to San Antonio and actually started positions at the uh, corporate office with H-E-B.
1: And so what was your uh, final role uh, with H-E-B?
0: Uh, my final role when I left in nineteen, I was the director of information solutions. So I had um, about sixty-five engineering, software engineering leaders that uh, that worked for me, um, and we had uh, applications from loss prevention, marketing, um, des- uh, what we call design and construction, which was actually all the all the technology that we use to build stores, like AutoCAD and Bluebeam, to actually design and outfit the stores. Um, security, So it did all the software that supported um, intrusion detection, videos. Uh, so I had 65 different apps that my team and I ran for HEB software.
1: Internal software that HEB built.
0: Uh, so it was a combination. So some of it was custom. Some of it was um, COTS, which was you know what they call uh, off the shelf. So you, you buy it, but then you run it on an internal server. And then some of it was uh, software as a service, cloud-based, kind of third-party software. So we had all three. Um, and we were running and supporting uh, about 65 different apps my team and I would run.
1: Wow. And so yeah. what would uh, what would your position be? Just to uh, kind of state what the uh, objective was, look for issues, try and...
0: Yeah, so, so my position as director was kind of twofold. Uh, one was to understand the business goals and to understand how to um, support whatever business goals they had with software, either enhancing what we had bringing on something new or retiring something that we didn't need anymore. Uh, And then the other half was leading the engineering staff that I had to accomplish those goals, prioritize their work, and then make sure things run. One of the biggest challenges, of course, in in technology is things go down, systems break, uh, but unfortunately HUB runs nonstop. So we really couldn't afford to have anything not operating for very long. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's lots of uh, late nights and weekends on the phone, you know, trying to troubleshoot and trying to figure out what was going on to get things back online. Uh, but it was probably 50 50, understanding the business goal, making sure we understood what we needed to accomplish, and then translating that really into the engineering staff and delivering that as either a software or as an enhancement to the software.
1: The uh, understanding the business goals. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you, uh, how would HEB kind of explain the business goals to you? Would it be going to leadership meetings quarterly or?
0: yeah so HEB's business goal at a, at a highest level was was usually pretty clear. It was typically based in you know growth around sales, profit margins etc um, but because I had individual clients so uh, for example, the, the vice president of security and loss prevention was one of my customers. so I met with him once a week to understand like what do you need what what support? What do you mean a, he was one of your customers? Uh, one of my internal customers so um, so the way we operate is as a director of software, I was responsible for a certain group of the internal business. So loss prevention, advertising, um, design and construction, were all individual departments inside HEB that supported the stores and supported operations.
1: And so one of those would be your customer and vice versa. Correct. Of an internal department of HEB.
0: Internal department, right. So so I had, um, I think the last time I looked at the numbers, I had somewhere around 14 (coughs) vice presidents that ran different areas of internal departments at HEB and their associated directors that I met with to understand their needs from a technology perspective and then based on their needs, based on priorities, timelines, budgets we would then go back and deliver that with an engineering solution, software, new package, enhancements, changes, etc most of my time was spent really engaging with the business customers understanding their problems so i can make sure that we were solving them with technology and then ideally bringing them new solutions uh, that would help them improve how they deliver you know for example loss prevention um, you know which is retail shrink right how much money we lose from things walking out the door things being spoiled Um, some of the technology that we looked at was when i right before i left was facial recognition right how do we how do we see somebody that looks like alex walk in the store and then maybe in a year when we find out something happened we could still see that that was alex from store to store for somebody who was maybe behaving badly within the store right whether they were shoplifting stealing certain things um we were looking at different technologies that would help us identify those to help prevent that type of loss as opposed to reacting after it walks out the door as one example
1: yeah and so like an example of that working Mm -hmm. would be uh Alex has stolen from a few HEBs. Sure. Facial uh, recognition recognizes me when I walk into another store. Correct. Somehow notifies somebody we there. Would, we would learn an internal uh, loss prevention
0: specialist to say, "Hey, you know, there's someone in the store who who's a known a known uh, um, actor." Actor. And actor. Uh, yeah, and and we might want to engage him. And one of the other technologies, for example, that I think has been leveraged since I left uh, that we were working on is uh, using that same idea around license, license plate recognition. So instead of waiting for you to make it in the store, um, you know we identify the fact that your license plate was the same one that left the store, the previous store doing something and being able to recognize that you're in the parking lot and having that same type of engagement as an example, and then maybe applying that to some other areas like self-checkout.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, Uh, and I'm I'm sure that's just one small little aspect of what's going on behind the scenes constantly Mm -hmm. when I walk into an HEB store Mm -hmm. that uh, would have no idea.
0: Yeah, I mean some of the things that I did uh, before I was in technology actually. um, You know, I ran I was in stores for seven years. Uh, I came to corporate in the marketing division, so what we call like shopper marketing today, uh, and helped really build the uh, technology and the and the disciplines around using um, your identifiers, whether that's your your debit cards or credit cards to identify who you were without necessarily using like a loyalty card. Mm-hmm. So we don't have the traditional cards like Kroger does or like uh, some of the other big retail shoppers do, but there's still a way for us to kind of identify who you are and be able to analyze your shopping behavior. So that was one of the first things that I did that we were doing without really advertising that.
1: And so what would y'all do when you noticed uh, I'm buying uh, a lot of steak or something? Y'all would sure. Me advertisements? Yeah. yeah,
0: so there would be advertisements delivered through like this, the printers that were at the stores, the back of the receipts, like all of that started to become targeted. So if you shop today and maybe you haven't bought something in a while, you'll get a coupon from the secondary printer for a brand that you've stopped buying that you used to buy, or you might be introducing a brand of product. Uh, one of the things you see probably the most today that we worked a lot on and analyzed was, How do we kind of grow your basket? So you might, let's say you normally spend $10 a shop on a particular type of product, uh, dairy or ice cream or frozen pizza. You might get a coupon for five off 15. We're trying to get you used to spending $15 a trip to kind of grow your basket without you kind of necessarily intentionally making that decision. The coupon gets you used to buying three at a time instead of buying two at a time. Mm -hmm. And then now we can kind of ratchet your basket size up, reduce the amount of trips per shopper, uh, and kind of help grow your share, uh, in that category.
1: That's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I always wondered where the, uh, I always thought that the coupons that were printed out at H-E-B, mm-hmm. uh, were triggered via something I was buying there. Like, sure. you know, that would be like a good add on to sure. it. However, it didn't quite make sense if I'm already buying it now coupon, I'm not going to go back and you know, right,
0: right. Yeah. It was, one, it was one of the journey, the journeys we went on, right. were. um, at the register, your your basket's done. So your your intention is trying to get you to hold onto that coupon for your next shop. Mm-hmm. Um, what what you'll see now and, and one of the one of the main projects that I launched before going into technology was the digital coupons on the mobile app. So now we're able to deliver those before you shop. So now you'll log on to your digital coupons app at HEB and you'll see, well here's a coupon for five off 15 and you might you might have it in your app, but I might not have it in mine. Because now that you're identifying yourself with coupons for digital, um, we're able to identify you and ideally give you those um, coupons or offers that will allow you to spend more or change your shopping behavior, introduce a product to you. But we can get it up front before you put the items in your basket. So that was the transition we worked on that I helped drive uh, back from from 07 to 14.
1: Interesting. And so does H-E-B have a profile on every shopper who's shopped there more than two, three times or something like that? Yeah.
0: Ultimately, if you're identifying yourself with uh, with the coupon app, um, yeah, we're going to build a profile on you because everything every time you identify, it's going to come into a, a grouping in a historical view. Um, the other way would be looking at your uh, your tenders, right? So your, your credit cards, your debit cards. One of the challenges we always run into with that was people don't just use one card. People have three or four cards that they might use depending on the time of year, the time of day. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot of effort also going into trying to tie those individuals together, right? Because right. Alex Kaufman might be unique enough to where these three debit cards are probably all you if we see them in the same store, but Robert Martinez is pretty hard to connect. I might not <laughs> be the only guy with that name walking through you know, San Antonio number two. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, this is very interesting. And uh, sorry for talking so much about HEB if mm. you didn't plan on it. But I'm sure okay. that <laughs> I'm I'm sure that this has shaped uh you know your view on building your own business because uh you've obviously done a lot there you were there for a long time mm-hmm. really great uh, great company yeah I'm sure there's a lot you learned about culture obviously working on the corp- uh, corporate side technology growing mm-hmm. kind of how it because I mean it's fascinating you know I yeah. haven't uh, built a big <laughs> business like H uh, E B and I I get yeah. you know very interested in how they were able to accomplish that.
0: Yeah, I I think there's a a ton, a ton of value, you know, I I would never discount the time I spent there because the things that I was able to learn at HEB for a large scale company and what they do and how they think about things, it definitely influences how I work today, you know, it's, you know, I I own my brokerage and we're doing, you know, residential real estate, buying and selling. Um, You know, we're working with investors, but I also have a um, an ownership stake in a construction company. I also have an I also own a dump junk, um, a dump trailer junk removal company, because one of the things that I learned from HEB is you want to own as much of the value chain as you can. Right. So HEB owns trucks, they own manufacturing plants, they own the the warehouses, the stores. So they own as much of that as they can mm-hmm. because that allows them to control profitability. So with real estate, I'm trying to apply the same point of view. Right. I want the construction arm. I want the investor arm. I want the junk removal arm because all of that ultimately feeds the other. Right? I've done several real estate deals. That became construction jobs. I sold houses, and then we immediately turned around and spent forty, fifty thousand dollars with the client to enhance. Um, and I've also had investors where we did the construction, and then I listed the house for sale. Mm-hmm. So those those work together, and I, and I think that vision that I have uh, to kind of expand and hit most more of those verticals in real estate completely comes from me being at HEB and watching them do that successfully.
1: Yeah. What yeah. What um What else did you learn from HEB on like a uh, perspective because uh, as you now you know uh, a broker and start mm-hmm. bringing other agents on don't know mm-hmm. if that's your goal or not but mm-hmm. I'm sure that there is a, a lot learned from I mean working at it should be 20 years your wife 23 years right uh, her father longer than both you guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's a, very impressive that, um, you know, AGP has a lot of loyalty and, and really yeah. brings people up within.
0: Yeah, it, w- it was very, uh, it wasn't very uncommon for us to walk around the arsenal, which is what we call the corporate office and see 20, 25, 30. Uh, I saw a social media post a couple days ago from one of my friends who still works there and they were celebrating a partner who just retired after um, 47 years wow. with the company. I'm like, I, I, how old were you when you started, right, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, but it's uh, definitely- some, Yeah, exactly, exactly right. So uh, so yeah, so, for, so from a cultural perspective and kind of understanding and managing you know, what you want the culture of your company to be is, is definitely something that I've been able to transition into, into Moment Realty. Um, and what I've found is that for me, what I usually end up doing is I, I probably talk to 15 or 20 potential agents before I end up having a conversation about having them come on, and a lot of that conversation, and a lot of the, I'll call it the deselection process for me, mm-hmm. is just not finding that match as far as what I want someone to be, uh, the mentality and the culture I want them to have as as they're coming into the company, because I want people who are very service oriented. Like I want people who are who care more about their customer's outcome than the amount of commission right. that's going to be on their check. Because at the end of the day we're in a business where the money's going to come is every closing is going to create a check right? whatever that check amount is. But if we're focused first on educating our customer, we're focused first on educating them on how the process works, making sure that they're getting a property they're going to enjoy. And we care about that first. Then we're going to have longevity that other people who just care about, well, let's get them into a house. And I don't care if I ever talk to them again. Uh, and I'm, and there are some people that are like that they operate that way and that's fine i mean that's what they're going to do but that's not how we're going to operate yeah you know our slogan is success through client education and right. it, it is a big focus for us is that we want people to know and leave our transaction understanding more about real estate than they did um, and i was amazed my first couple of years in this where i had you know because of my H E B clients uh, a lot of my clients in my first 18 months were people that I worked with there, you know, other other people that were coworkers or that we knew that we had done projects together, etc. Um, and I was always amazed some of these people had bought and sold three, four or five houses. And when we sat down to really talk about the contract and talk about the process, how little they really understood from their previous engagements with agents and how little they really understood about how things work. Um, So I really took that as a way to really focus on, well, I want you to leave understanding more. And and I kind of look at it as I want to meet all of my customers kind of where they are in their journey for real estate, right? So whether you're first time home buyer and know nothing about real estate, I'm going to start with the very, very basics but I have clients that have 45, 50 doors and they know a lot about real estate, but there's still a lot I can educate them on even after 45 or 50 doors that they haven't experienced. So really tailoring our message, tailoring what we're focused on for each of our customers is one of our big focuses.
1: Hey, this is Alex and I'm the co-owner of TRE. Since the beginning of time, real estate has created more millionaires than any other investment. And I wanna get you involved in a community that will help you achieve your goals within real estate investing. I know you don't have the knowledge, connections, or resources to start investing today. Most people spin their wheels over and over and over without ever actually taking any action to successfully start investing. That's why I wanna get you involved in our community so that you can get the hands-on support, training, and meet the other members that you can start doing deals with in order to start investing in real estate. You need to get in the room with the right people who can help you achieve your goals and get the hands-on support and one-on-one training that you need in order to start investing. Just click on the link in the description to join the entrepreneur community today. This is one of our big focuses, so that's why I end up having to cycle through
0: a lot of conversations before I can bring somebody on uh, to fit the mold.
1: Build some loyal customers, and then slowly over time, you can start increasing basket size. That's right,
0: exactly right. I want, I want, I want all my customers to buy multiple houses from me. Exactly. Right. Right. I don't, I don't need, I don't need a thousand customers. If all, if I have two hundred, that I'll buy five houses a year.
1: We have a uh, a team at at TRE. It's a, a dynamic duo of mm-hmm. S- Stephen Richard. They have one customer, okay, or one client. One client, and uh, this client, uh, you know, they have a lot of money in India. Sure. They take that money in India and they invest it here. Okay. And they easily buy, you know, hundred plus million dollars worth of land every year. Every year, wow. One one client.
0: Yeah, and that's and that's and you know, customer loyalty there is pretty important, right? Because they do something that upsets that client. Their whole business is gone, and, right. and that's a you know that's a that's a risky position to be in for them. But it's also a good position if they can manage that relationship and continue to deliver value. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I think they're in there pretty tight, and they kind of run everything for for sure. this kind of you know office. Sure, uh, but I mean, back to the uh, idea of you know be a lot finding Hundred people to buy a million dollars worth of real estate. Absolutely, a
0: year. absolutely. Yeah. So th- if you can get <clears throat> if you can get the depth and you can get buyers who are going to buy from you multiple times, uh, obviously investors who you can work with. Um, you know, I like working with investors because one, they buy more than one time, and two, uh, there's usually less emotion. They're mm-hmm. not void of emotion because they still get upset and they still you know, they still want to make good deals and they still want certain things and can get get just as uh, fired up about situations but when it comes down to it if the numbers make sense they're going to move and uh, if they don't they won't so it's so a it, it financial
1: versus emotional decision yeah so investors
0: in my opinion yeah they they weigh heavier to the financial decision versus the emotional decision and and you know i feel like every buyer has a balance of both right um, you know, even first time home buyers, there's obviously a financial component, but there is an emotional component. They're going to raise a family there. They're going to be there to, this is the first time they're going to, they, they want it to look the way they want it to look. They want it to have the amenities they want it to have. And that's kind of their emotional side. But at the end of the day, they still got to be, be able to afford it. Uh, but investors, you know, if the cash flow is right, if the internal rate of returns rise, right, if the, if the rate in terms of the deal are right, that's going to, they care more about that. They don't care as much about the paint color and the carpet and the size of the yard. Uh, but but to care a little bit, so that's where I think that balance is important.
1: Right. Yeah. Um. So when did you start investing in real estate or start getting intrigued by real estate while you're at HEB? Because um, I'm sure you kind of did. You make a, a transition or did you? It was a it was a cut and a move. So,
0: um, but I guess from an investor, my investor history, I started investing in real estate before I left HEB. So um, we had a long term rental. Um, and we had a short-term rental. We actually had a, an Airbnb in South Padre that we bought in 2015, so I was still heavily engaged at H-E-B at that point. Was that the point. first one? That was the first one. Okay. Yeah, so we bought that one, um, and we were using it you know, for our own enjoyment, but then we were running it as an Airbnb, um, so that was really the first foray while I was still there. My, my interest in real estate really has been there for a long time, um, but I, I kind of skipped over that story at the beginning, but you know, we never really, my, my mom, my brother, and I, we didn't actually own a home until I was, I think, eighth or ninth grade in Lorena, um, and it was a situation in Houston where we my mom had actually gone into an owner financing deal while we were there with someone, and ultimately, you know, the short version is she didn't know what she was doing, and when we left and walked away, there was no equity, no dollars, no nothing, and, and, I, and I met a couple other people along the way um, that I knew, family members or, or other friends. That had that same situation, and ultimately, that happened because they lacked the education about how real estate worked.
1: Was it uh, was it like a a rent to own situation, or See, it was I, I just don't, overpaid for? Or? I, I
0: don't know specifically what the issue was because I don't know what the the paperwork stated, but it it may have been that it was a rent to own situation. You know, the understanding that that my mom had was that it was she was owner financing, she was making payments, she was building equity. So the expectation was when we were leaving we were going to either sell it or we were going to, you know, he was going to take it back and there would be some amount of equity available and there was nothing there. Um, so at at the time I was 13, so I'm not exactly sure the details of what that happened, but I remember how I, how we felt about it. And it definitely felt like a situation where, you know, quote unquote, we were taken advantage of, we didn't get what we thought. Um, another family member of mine had a similar situation, uh, where they were an owner financing deal. They'd been in the house for, eight or nine years uh, and then they found out that the owner wasn't paying property tax so the county was coming to take the house back and there was nothing left for them to be able to do at that point at least that they didn't believe they had anything to do at that point um, so they ended up walking away from you know 12 or 11 12 or 13 years of making payments on a house and getting nothing for it so I've had some situations like that where, again, going back to why the education and the importance of knowledge is so important for me because I want people to understand that regardless of their situation, there's probably a way out. Um, And I know the communities obviously talks a lot about that and we focus a lot about creative financing and ways to get people out of a situation that might not be great for them, but that might still be able to leave with something. Yeah. Uh, But a lot of that's about the education part.
1: Yeah, it is, absolutely. And I mean, uh, it's unfortunate uh, that situations like that happen i don't hear about them too often but i'm sure it happens all the time
0: yeah i think that it probably happens more than people communicate because they're not even sure who they would tell you know who are they going to tell other than a family member or a friend that that say this really didn't work out well for me and i think that it probably keeps a lot of people um afraid to do it again right they're afraid to get into a transaction again they're afraid to go spend money and maybe lose again so they end up just being renters for you know the rest of their lives and they never really end up owning real estate uh, at all because of that bad situation or because of somebody they knew telling them about that risk. But, but to me, it all comes down to just, you've got to, if you're educated about the situation, you're educated going into it, it's even better. But if you're educated, somebody's with you that's educated on the way out, you can hopefully be in a better situation.
1: Yeah, like we've got a uh, portfolio of, I think it's seven or eight houses in mm-hmm. Alice, Texas. Yeah. Uh, right now, under contract. Okay. Um. And, uh, it was actually uh, it's this the heirs of somebody are selling it. Okay. That just inherited it. Sure. And the previous owner, the guy, um, he basically did, uh, rent to own situations with, okay. uh, the people who live there, right? Sure. So initially, someone brought it to us uh, to purchase these as notes. Okay. Um. Which, uh. I've been told that uh, rent-to-own situations are not legal in mm-hmm. Texas. Yeah, you know they should have uh, actually seller finance Don't finance, yeah. So the guy and the heirs still own the properties, uh, mm-hmm. and there's non-enforceable contracts in place with the people who are living there. Gotcha. Basically, lease agreements. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what we have had to do is we're going to buy the properties from the heirs. Okay. And then what we're going to have to do is go back to the people who are living there and sign new actual seller finance. Gotcha. Uh, contracts transfer the deeds to them right. uh, and actually own the notes, but I mean, if somebody else bought that, like yeah. uh, you know, they could probably just not honor any of that.
0: Right? Yeah, exactly. You know, y'all are doing the right thing by trying to honor the the intent that right. was there and the expectation of the of the uh, of the buyers. Um, but you know, to your point, legally, you don't have to do it. Y'all are doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do, and, right. and that's and that's the and that's great to hear because I think a lot of people would look at it and say, "Oh, well." Uh, I, I just have tenants. I don't I don't have to worry about any equity being built. I don't have to worry about any of these payments made up to this point because none of these documents are enforceable. So we're just going to start from from scratch.
1: Yeah, it, it was really kind of. Uh, I mean, I'm sure that that happens all the time, and a lot of yeah. people uh, who aren't educated, you know, yeah. probably get burned in those situations.
0: Yeah, yeah. And my um, my opinion is that it probably it's probably targeted a certain group of people that either lack the education don't speak the language etc there's a lot of reasons i think that they're probably being taken advantage of because of that um but it's unfortunate but the more the more people that focus on educating people the more people that focus on doing the right thing hopefully that will continue to reduce and we'll have less and less of that um, as time goes on
1: right so uh all right so you brought us back to uh Lorena, uh, you were saying that your sure. family hadn't bought a property till 7th 8th grade or Yeah,
0: my the start of my 8th grade year is actually the first time my mom was actually able to own a home for the first time. So Got you know, it. she's at that point 35 36 years old. And that was a big uh, deal. And that was a big deal, right? Yeah. That was the first time we were able to get into a situation where it was our house. You know, growing up, we kind of I kind of sped through that, but we were renters, right? So every single year for the most part from as long as I can remember from three or four years old like every year we were moving we were moving to a different house often a different school because it it made financial sense to find another rental that was maybe cheaper or that was in a different area um, so that inconsistency was tough because as a you know elementary school kid you're moving every single year it's hard to make friends um, luckily I had my brother and he was at least w- consistency at the new school when I got there mm-hmm. uh, but that was about it so that getting to being in one town being in one house and being able to have some consistency i think for me was a big deal Uh, i think now as a father i think that's a very important thing that i think is important for kids to have that consistency if you can provide it um so once we got there i definitely felt the benefits of that you know being able to build long-term relationships like i don't remember or have any connection to anyone from houston from when i was growing up but i still have friends from Seventh grade that I still talk to on a regular basis, and yeah. they'll be friends for life, yeah. um, because I was in the same place, and you know those were people who grew up in in Lorena and lived there from <laughs> kindergarten. And right. All their families were, had been there for years and years and years, um, but th- that was uh, something that I was able to accomplish there that I wasn't able to accomplish in Houston. And that and that consistency or that home kind of represented that, um, because we were close to the school. We were kind of everybody kind of came to our house after school because we were close. Um, so it created like a, a, a community. A, a community community at the house yeah
1: and so uh in 2015 buying the airbnb yes first investment property you already owned a house that you guys lived in
0: yeah we owned a primary residence here in san antonio Uh, we bought this one after my son was born Um, our kind of intention was well we'll put a 15 year note on it if he graduate when he graduates from high school it'll be paid off and you know we'll have his college money Um, so we held on to that one until uh, early 2020 you sold Um, it we did sell it Uh, it worked really well um, but toward the end it just became a little more pain we were self managing it was you know it's four and a half hour drive down there Mm -hmm. Um, I think the last thing I dealt with right before I decided to sell it was I got a call on a Friday evening somebody was checking in for a two month stay at Winter Texan refrigerator was dead wasn't working so uh, it was a okay let me place an order for a refrigerator in Brownsville at nine o'clock on a Friday night I'm getting up at six to drive to Brownsville to pick up and deliver a refrigerator and Drive home the same day. That was probably the last straw. After like, yeah, I don't want to deal with this. It's just too yeah. far. It wasn't the um, the management of it. It was just the distance. Yeah. Um, now I'm I, in hindsight, I'm like, I thought I just had somebody local that could have handled this stuff for me. I probably would have held on to it. Right. Um, but it ended up working out well. You know, we um, we put it on market toward the end of um, 2019. Um, and then we ended up going under contract and closing about three weeks before COVID hit and uh-huh. everything got shut down where you couldn't go to the island unless you were a resident. Um, really? So we timed it really well. It, that restriction didn't last very long, Should it lasted a for a couple of months. I think it was a couple months actually. Um, but, uh, but we sold closed I think February 15th, 14th of 2020. And then, you know, the world changed a month later for everybody. Yeah. And, uh, and we ended up, uh, timing it just right. And then we ended up buying a, a house for ourselves in Canyon Lake, just north of San Antonio for us just to have a, a place to go, uh, no Airbnb, just to have a, a rental or a weekend place for us.
1: Nice. Yeah. So when they shut down the Island, do you yeah. know, did they like have a checkpoint? basically yeah
0: that's what i understood my understanding was when you when, before you got across the main causeway is they were making sure that you were a local resident and if you weren't a local resident they weren't letting you come across the bridge because they were trying to restrict movement at that time because nobody knew what was really going on yet everything was everyone was kind of fear um so they're like well if you don't live on the island then don't come across the bridge um right. so I, my understanding is that it lasted somewhere between six and eight weeks almost two months and then they finally figured out you know, okay, we're gonna let this happen because they're gonna be in their house. They just the businesses ended up reacting by shutting down or restricting hours and things, but I think they got over it relatively quickly. But yeah. uh, but I think the timing worked out for us. Yeah,
1: it did. I mean, uh, especially if it was an Airbnb.
0: Yes, exactly. It was and. Uh, you know i think we would have probably ended up losing a at least a couple months worth of rentals from it and then my understanding uh was that it had an impact for a while because people were a little bit fearful of traveling mm-hmm. to houses and whether or not they were being sanitized so it had an impact for a while i definitely think it's back and I, I think they're now it probably probably worth 100 grand more than i sold it for but you know you can't
1: go backwards what a crazy time yeah uh Back in uh, early 2020, mm-hmm. so y'all y'all bought a uh, another property, uh, Canyon Lake.
0: Yeah, we bought another property, Canyon Lake. Uh, it wasn't an investment property; it was just a place for us to have, um, you know, because again, it was COVID time. Like we needed a place to escape the house, uh-huh. um, and we were able to get a good deal. We got a really good deal. Somebody had bought built it. He was building it for his son. <coughs> son told me he wasn't going to move into it, um, so we ended up getting a brand new construction house for just a little over 200k in um, in May of 2020 um the neighborhood right now i've got two houses on my on my street for sale in the 375 range so i think i think we did pretty well on it yeah uh, if we ever decide to sell it but um, you know the goal is to hold on to that one and maybe that be the place where we uh, relax once we're old and tired of working
1: do y'all rent that one out
0: no we don't it's just for family we'll let some of our family uh use it uh, my brother-in-law my brother um We'll use periodically with their families But uh, but for the most part it's just us We It's not listed anywhere
1: The uh, Airbnb income that you were getting from mm-hmm. 2015 to 2019 mm-hmm. Uh what, is that the only property rental property owned at the time?
0: At the time, that was it, yeah, yeah. So we started accumulating some long-terms uh, in 2020 after we bought the Cannon Lake property. Once I was in real estate full-time is when we started adding some additional properties to the portfolio.
1: Was it generating good income for you guys?
0: It was, it was. Um, we were covering um, pretty much everything. I mean, I was I was probably 95% coverage on, uh, as far as the expenses between mortgage, uh, PITI, um, maintenance, and the uh the associated like fees because one of the biggest things in south padre is the the cam fees or the common area maintenance fees are pretty high so i think we were paying almost 500 a month on a two two down there because a lot of it is the uh insurance the flood insurance and the hurricane wind insurance is pretty high yeah uh, but yeah we were covering really well and then we always looked at it as you know we typically would use the property um three or four weeks a year so the cost savings for that versus renting a place for a grand a week we definitely ended up winning yeah, of course. Um, we probably covered 85%, 90% of our expenses uh, with what we were able to do on Airbnb.
1: Nice. Okay. And so tell me about the switch, the cutoff.
0: Yeah. So um, I left HEB June like 28th, 29th, basically last week of June in 2019. Um, I had already started focusing on my real estate goals as far as where I was going to be heading. Um, so I had my license and was ready to go um, August 4th. So Why it real estate? Gone. Well, real estate was always the thing I wanted to be in, right? I, I knew that if I ever were to leave, I would go focus on real estate because I've always had a passion for it. I've, because of the life stories about not having a house until I was older, seeing people taken advantage of, I always had an interest in it, always watched properties, always wanted to have rentals. Because I understood the, the benefit of both the tax benefits of owning real estate as well as the long-term benefits of having the cash flow. Mm-hmm. So it was always about trying to generate enough properties to generate cash flow to where I could replace income or put us in a position to where, you know, if we had seven or $10,000 a month clean, every we'd know we'd have cash flow to retire on long-term in addition to anything else that we were doing, like 401ks, et cetera. Um, so real estate was always the goal. Uh, I think, you know, I kind of looked at, a couple of different options leaving H-E-B was, you know, did I want to continue down the path of going into another corporate role with a different company? Um, but really I wanted to go out on my own. I've always had that idea of being an entrepreneur. I always felt like inside HEB, I always found roles where I felt like I ran what I did. I owned my business. Um, and I, I set goals and I delivered. I, I felt like I was internal business owner, if you will. Um, yeah, so, with your
1: internal customers. Uh, right, exactly.
0: I even treated <laughs> it like that. So for me, I was always running my business, even within the larger company. Um, so this was the time for me to go out and actually, you know, do it for myself. And, you know, my wife and I had a conversation, you know, we understood financially how long I needed, how long I had to be able to start producing money before I'd have to consider, you know, maybe going back to a a full-time job. Um, but it's been successful. So I had, I didn't have to look back. I didn't have to change, uh, direction and do something different um so that's so i just real estate was always the thing i wanted to go after um you know when i first got in i i didn't necessarily have the strong idea of, of owning the company and being a broker but working for myself and being an agent mm-hmm. was the goal um i pretty quickly transitioned into owning the company because in january of 2020 only five months later uh, another partner and i actually started our own brokerage so i could be a part owner of the company and then end up taking it over for myself uh, before the end of 2020 so after about nine months end up taking it over and just running it myself
1: he had said i don't want to be involved anymore or what <laughs>
0: well we actually had two companies so we had a we had a mortgage company and a real estate company so the way we ended up splitting is he took over mortgage 100 i took over real estate 100 we're still really good friends we still talk all the time yeah i still try to send on him all my mortgage business um, but I really wanted to take the, the real estate business a certain direction. I wanted to be able to grow it with an investor focus and agents who are focused on investment and creating income for themselves in addition to being retail agents. Um, so I wanted to take it that direction and we, and that was just the right time for us to kind of split to do that is yeah. what we did.
1: Yeah. Okay. Tell me about a uh, moment and where the name came from and why it's spelled, uh, the way it's spelled. Okay.
0: Um, so, uh, in t- 2007, 2007 2008 um i owned a design company with a, another partner of mine that worked for heb so he was a, a graphic designer he's still uh-huh. here in austin half elder studios if you need some good design work i'm not involved anymore to be clear but half elder studios i don't own it anymore but uh but he and i uh, had worked together on a lot of different branding projects and things like that 07 08 while i was still working at heb because i was used to going non-stop right i was 50 hours in the stores going to school at night so I was used to kind of working all the time yeah so when i was just down to just work and i, I kind of joke like, just what, do I work. Do? <laughs> what, what do i do with all this extra time on my right. hand um so we had this company um so i still work with him on a regular basis so i just called him and said hey i've got this company it, it has a brand right now that was related to the to the mortgage company but i need to create some separation here um, so he went through his process which is long and, and arduous and i think we started with somewhere around 100 names. Uh, and then kind of dwindled it down to moment. Um, and we really, the goal. And I guess the, the, when we landed on the name, it was really around. It's the moments that you get to spend in your home, right? Like everybody has a story and they remember where they were and it was at their house, whether the first child they had, where they got married. Where somebody passed away, you know, whatever that moment in your life was, mm-hmm. you can remember the home or the house that you were in. Um, so that's really where we, why I landed on it, why I liked the story around the name, and then ultimately putting the word home inside it. Oh, I uh, see now. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> so the word home <clears throat> is why it's spelled differently. The H uh, allows you to get the word home out of the word moment. So that's the that's how we landed on that. And then I like the way it looks because the O um the h is supposed to look like the keys that's inside the o so it looks yep. like a key to your home so it's kind of a triple meaning and my social is just the o with the key logo uh-huh. in it so it was multi-level very cool the design process went into it yeah a lot of time uh went into it uh, i'm still working on trying to figure out how to make people pronounce it right because i get a i get a lot of different you know Emhoment, I get uh, Mahomet like Mahomes <laughs> it, it, the Mahom, the Patrick Mahomes thing happened at the wrong time because a lot of people are it's, is it Mahomes or Mahomet uh, I get a lot of different pronunciations of it but for the most part, people understand it's, it's moment once I
1: work with them for a little while. That's a uh, good uh, real or short uh, TikTok idea. Yeah, I like that. Guess. That's good. I will. We did one with Typekey because I mean, golly. Yeah, I can't no imagine. Yeah, right. <laughs> I still don't say it right. It was like, Trey's way better. <laughs> yeah, and that's even wrong. <laughs> yeah. But we just go with T R E. Whatever right. anybody says, we'll we'll roll with it. It's us. As it's, long as they call me, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> so cool, and so it was really just kind of. Uh, you uh by yourself then uh at moment realty for a few years for a little while
0: yeah so i um so it was really me and matt uh matt sanchez uh rotson mortgage uh, was my partner so it was really he and i he was the broker I, w- I was the really the agent focus um by the end of 2020 i had already picked a, i picked up one agent uh, mike usually so we had one other agent in the office um, by 2021, I think I had built up to, I think, eight total that I had at the at one time. That was kind of the most that I had. Um, over time, like some of those had cycled out. They either went to other brokerages. Uh, I had one, one of my uh, agents was my assistant as well. She actually ended up doing a lot of my marketing, doing a lot of my social, and she actually got a marketing job with a different company, completely out of real estate, and is doing all the same things she did for me. So doing all the social media marketing, email marketing, managing the customer relationship so Mm -hmm. she was able to leverage what she was doing with me to kind of transition into a a full-time job doing that Uh, but right as of today i have uh, myself plus four additional agents Um, so i've got they're all in san antonio right now Uh, i've got a couple agents that are in the in the pipeline for uh, dallas and uh, one more in austin that i'm looking to add as well so my goal my personal goal would be to have somewhere between 20 and 25 agents in total. I don't necessarily think I want to be bigger than that, but I want all of those agents to be, you know, multimillion dollar producers so that they're all focused and producing what they want. They're producing enough money to feel comfortable. Um, and they're all focused on investing themselves. So I yeah. want all of them to own property, either they already own property or their goal is to own property to be part of the organization, because I want to be able to talk to people about investing and talk to people about how to, accumulate and build a portfolio for themselves because I want them to be able to talk to our clients about the same thing.
1: And then how about yourself for investing goals? So for me,
0: uh, right now we have, um, we have three long-term rentals. Uh, and I guess technically I have two and then one, I actually just sold creative financing. So I'm carrying a note on one. So I've Mm -hmm. got two long terms and then a note on (coughs) another single family. Um, I would like to personally get um, another five doors in the next 12 months. Uh, I'm looking to try to get into some small multifamily to do that, either some quadplexes or maybe an eight-unit apartment complex through a partnership Um, because my my goal would be uh, not necessarily the doors, but I'd like to get to a place where, I'm consistently able to clear somewhere between 7500 and 10,000 a month from the properties that I own. Yeah. Now I'd love to do that with as few doors as possible, but it's going to depend on uh, each one and how well I buy each one before I achieve that number. Um, but right now I've set the goal of five additional doors between now and the end of next summer. I set that goal at the end of August, so by the end by next August I want to have five additional doors or eight total. You're going to achieve that, no doubt. I hope so. I'm looking at a 24 unit right now, so that that'll blow that out of the water if we can get that one done
1: in San Antonio.
0: Yeah, in San Antonio. Yeah, it's actually one that came from the community. Um, David uh, brought a 24 Uh unit down on Ware Road, Um, so I've been trying to get some information from the uh, listing agent on that one and understand you know what the overall financials are. I like that one because it has the opportunity to potentially expand. Uh, it's an MF 33. Um, so it allows us 33 unit, 33 doors per acre in San Antonio. And there's a space at the rear of the property where I think we could drop an additional eight units and take a 24 up to a 32 and really be able to maximize that acre. Uh, they're all one one. So the consistency and floor plan is there. The location is good. It'll always be a great rental area in South San Antonio, um, just south of Pleasanton Road there. So I'm, inter- I'm really interested in getting that one if I can. But that one, based on the price point, even if I get a better deal, will likely take me bringing on a couple of partners to finance it and get it done. But I figure if I can get it done with two other people, we each ultimately own eight doors, and that accomplishes my goal. But if it takes three people plus myself, that's still six doors apiece. And growing that maybe to uh, a few more if we build the extra unit, that would be my goal on that one if I can make the numbers work.
1: Yeah, what price
0: do they want? Uh, list price is, I think 1.5, uh, based on my, um, uh, calculations. I need to get it somewhere between 1.24 and 1.28 to make the numbers work and the cap rate that I'd like to get from it. Cause being a class C, I'd like the cap rate to be North of 10.
1: Yeah. That'd be great if you can get that. Yeah. <laughs> What's it at right now? Eight.
0: Uh, I think it's just below 8. I think it's like 7.2 right now, um, and that's assuming all the rent rates are accurate for what the rolls claim they are. You think I they're think, high? I think there's a little bit of that calculation of the listing is on pro forma, where if they're all at 650 a unit, where I think some of them are still at 6 and some are at 650, so I think it's a little bit less. So if it's a 7 now, I really would like to get it north of I, – I mean, honestly, if it's at 9.5, it's probably worth going after, but I'd love to get it to 10.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Tell us a, a little bit about the San Antonio market. We got a lot of you know viewers who watch from all over. Sure. Uh, I mean, a lot of our viewers are from different states, yeah. uh, a lot in Dallas. OK. And I mean, we don't own a lot. I don't think we've ever bought in San Antonio. Uh, I'd love to. And yeah. I'm sure a lot of our viewers feel the same. And you're the local expert. So. Awesome.
0: Yeah. Well, to me, San Antonio is is a great market for several reasons, right? At the end of the day, cost of living in San Antonio is still better than most other major markets in Texas. Six fifty rent. Yeah, exactly. A one one for six fifty is is probably lower than normal. Um, But I would say that for a one one in certain parts of San Antonio, eight eight fifty is a pretty good standard. Now, don't get me wrong. There's places in San Antonio where a one bedroom is two thousand dollars if it's in the right location and it's a new construction. Um, but having that affordable housing in San Antonio and still having a good mixture to me is a is a big thing. Uh, the other thing is I think there's a lot of opportunity in value add in San Antonio right There's a lot of things that were built in the 60s and 70s that really haven't been touched in a really long time and I think there's a lot of people who aren't paying attention as much to that opportunity in the market. Uh, just because it's a it's a it's a big town, but it still feels like a small community, right? I, th- I think it's last time I saw, it was rated like n- ranked number seven as far as population in America as a single town. So it's a big city, a lot of people, but it doesn't feel like that because there's a lot of pockets and a lot of areas mm-hmm. where you know people kind of don't necessarily leave their their nucleus about ten mile radius from where they are. But you can live in you know if you live, I live up near Chavano Park in the North Central San Antonio but I own property down in uh, Wheatley Heights, like down south of downtown, and I own property on the far east, northeast side. Uh, I own property on the far west side out by SeaWorld, so if you can expand your vision of where in the market you're looking, there's pretty much any type of property you're looking for, which I think that is another reason that you can get Class E value as, or you can get brand new construction Class A. They're building a 400 unit right now right next to the airport that'll probably have Eighteen hundred dollar a month rents for one bedrooms. Yeah. Uh, so it's really a very diverse market of property, and I think because of the um, the the high cost that has shown up in Austin, some of the some of the transitions people coming out of Houston, we're getting a lot of activity. People moving from Houston into San Antonio. Um, a lot of people moving coming out of the oil and gas <laughs> industry. I think that are starting to invest in Bernie, Bulverde, New Brombles. I mean, New Brombles is growing yeah. amazingly fast. I was talking to one of my agents the other day uh and these might not be exact numbers but they're pretty close san antonio city uh the average like the median price for the home sale last month was like three hundred and eighty-four thousand, which is dramatically lower than austin's probably median number for last month because uh, i think it was north of 500. um but new Bromville's is actually even higher so new Braunfels actually over half a million dollars uh so it's this one pocket of of uh of real estate that is actually really high priced that most people don't realize that this market has yeah. really expensive real estate. New Braunfels. New Braunfels, yeah. Exactly. So, and that's part of the San Antonio <laughs> general area. Right. But I know we have Austin agents and we have other agents from the surrounding areas that are servicing it. But then you've got the Bernie market that's very similar. You know, you've got custom houses out there in Cordillera Ranch that are selling for almost $4 million. Um, now, those are 10 acre tracks, site built, beautiful <laughs> homes. Uh, but I can also today probably go find a property. I think I saw one this morning for ninety five thousand in Wheatley Heights that needs about forty k worth of renovation work. Yeah, or uh, less, right? Or less, exactly. So San Antonio really just has a lot of opportunity. I think because there's there's neighborhoods and areas that there hasn't been the rapid growth in investment that some of the other markets have seen. Um, so I think it's ripe for the picking.
1: Who's got better tacos, San Antonio or Austin? That's
0: that's not even a question. I mean, San Antonio smashes all day long.
1: What's your favorite taco place?
0: My favorite taco. Oh, that's a tough one. It depends if we're talking breakfast or
1: lunch. Um, Let's let's do both. Let's do both. Let's do uh, like street tacos and breakfast tacos. Okay. All right. Breakfast tacos um, for
0: consistency and availability because they have about five locations. I'd, I'd go with Tommy's. Tommy's. Tommy's is uh, and they're they they're the ones that put the barbacoa and big red conversation on the map. They actually sell shirts like a barbacoa taco and a big red <laughs> on a Saturday or Sunday morning, like you're yeah. winning life. Um, but uh, but I'd say they're they're probably the most consistent go to. There's uh, my nephew and I were actually talking about uh, one of one of the ideas we've been discussing is um, our um, our first uh, uh, consistent video. Products that we might do is what we're going to talk is tacos? tacos, Taco Talk Tuesday. So we're yeah. going to go go to a different taco place, eat the tacos, talk about real estate, and then talk about the tacos. Yeah, um, I've got a problem. I watch problem? I watch
1: all these social media videos on food, and then okay. I got to go eat that food that same yes. day. Yes,
0: yes, yeah. And that and we think we can create that, and it, <laughs> it creates the connection between the fact we, we looked at the numbers. Um, and there's a, there's a road that where my office is at, and in about a one mile stretch, there's seven different places where you can buy tacos. In a one-mile stretch uh and we think we're not we haven't done the math yet but we think we could do a unique taco place every week for approximately two and a half years and not repeat one time in san antonio yeah i don't doubt it yeah there's at least that many places uh that we can get to
1: so tommy's for breakfast yeah lunch
0: Ooh. um, street tacos alpha store yeah there's there's so there's so (laughs) many places i mean there's probably 50 places right now that you could go get a street taco that I don't even know about because I haven't been able to try them all because they're all over town.
1: Chicharron uh, con oh yeah. salsa verde.
0: All of them, all of them. So there's um, I would say there's a place on Houston Street, kind of the, the, again that Wheatley Heights area that I'm talking about called Terran's, T A R E N. Um, they have um, I can't even, I can't even remember what they're called. I think it might just be called the Terran Taco but it's got everything in there. I mean, beans, eggs, potatoes, chicharrones, sausage, bacon. Like it is just a massive, crazy taco. Um, so that one you could do breakfast or lunch, but it is, it's a meal. One taco is a meal. I mean, I think they're using like a, like a 10 inch or 12 inch burrito yeah. for that one taco. It, it's pretty impressive. Uh, but for like a traditional, uh, or for like a street taco or lunch, um, one of the, one of the most popular places in town is a place called the Henry's Puffy Taco. So that's more of a puffy taco, mm-hmm. picadillo, lettuce, tomato, cheese. Um, so you really have everything. There's a, there's there's so many places. I mean, we, we could do another hour just on the taco places. <laughs> yeah, I'll come yeah. prepared with wanna, the list. I don't <laughs> want to ruin all your, uh, your,
1: uh, your social media. Yeah, they'll media take my yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Thank y'all, y'all heard it here. I mean, yeah. it doesn't even matter about the real estate. Go to San Antonio for Go the tacos. Go to San
0: Antonio for the tacos. We'll, we'll look at real estate, we'll have some tacos, and, and we'll have a blast.
1: Um all right. Yeah, now I now I'm hungry for some tacos. I uh, yeah. shouldn't ask that question. Yeah,
0: well it's it's almost time. You probably earned a taco after this.
1: <laughs> Alright, so um well tell us about the uh about the future. So we got you know, wanna own five more doors. Yes. Uh wanna get up to twenty five uh mm-hmm. investor uh, focused agents. Yes. Uh when's that goal?
0: So the the five houses is by next August. That's my doors. Uh, And then once I get to the five, or if I exceed the five, then I'll set a new goal until I hit the revenue goal, that $7,500 minimum revenue goal per month of of clean, not just top line, but clean money. I have a feeling you're going to smash that. I hope that I smash it in in, in about two years or less, the the income goal. Um, (laughs) The agent goal, uh, I want to be thoughtful about that. So I feel um, pretty confident that I can add – five to six agents a year, bring them up to speed the right way, make sure that they're producing, give them the tools that they need. So I would say my 25 agent goal would probably be a three to four year goal to get to that where I feel like I've got 25 agents that are going to hang around. They're going to be loyal. They're going to be successful and they're going to be able to stay in the industry as long as they want. Right. That's really what I want. I want agents that want to be in real estate until they're tired of working mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to they're going to be in for two years. They're not going to find success and they're going to cycle out, which is what eight out of 10 agents do. Right. Um, but that's, I think that will probably take me till the end of all. Uh, if I got to set a timeline with you right now, the end of 2026.
1: Cool. Where can uh, um, viewers who are watching uh, find you and reach out to you to talk about San Antonio real estate. Sure. Tacos. Maybe yeah. there's someone uh, watching who wants to join you and, one of your markets that you're in or yeah. buy an investment property with you?
0: Yeah. So, uh, so um, my, my Instagram is at Robert Martinez properties, uh, but I also have an at moment realty. So you can find us the whole office there. Or find me at at Robert Martinez properties,
1: taco videos coming,
0: taco videos coming. Yeah. And then uh, hope by, I won't say hopefully, but uh, by the first of the year, um, we'll be launching the, uh, our, our version of the podcast, which is going to be nice. Enjoy your moment. I love um, it. So the name of the podcast will be enjoy your moment, focused on real estate, education, focused on ultimately getting people to investment but we're going to start from the beginning right what how does this game work if you're buying your first house what are the best options to approach it and we're just going to keep going until we're talking about complexities of 1031 exchanges and cost segregation nice and we're just going to build content out until we have everything there and again we want to we want people to jump in where they're ready, right? If, if they're if they're brand new, start at the beginning. If, if you own four or five properties and you're just trying to get better and you're trying to learn how to maximize tax benefits or, or learn more about the investment side, maybe you'll start at video 12 and, and go from there.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful, I like yeah. that. That's the goal. All right, and what would be your uh, advice uh, for maybe someone who's working at uh, Publix right now, who wants to go full-time sure. into real estate? Sure, or, sure. Or someone who, you know, uh, is looking to get started, and they just haven't taken that first step yet.
0: Yeah, my, my, my advice is, you know, whether it's myself or one of the other agents at Moment or any, find an agent who wants to, you to learn the business as much as they want you to buy a deal. Uh, if you can find someone who is more focused on you understanding the game and you understanding the process, and the deal will come, find that person and start learning. Uh, I think any good agent out there who who wants to accomplish that will spend time with you and educate you on that and get you to where you're comfortable, to where you're ready to make that first buy. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're looking just to be an investor, look for that agent who's going to do that for you. And and once you find them, hold on to them because they're going to be loyal to you and and they're going to continue to to carry you forward. And as you become more advanced, they'll move with you. Yeah,
1: Yeah. absolutely. Beautiful. You want to come here and say cut? Come here. Come
0: stand next to that. Please,
1: come here. Okay. He, he said, uh, he said uh, introduce yourself if you want to. What's your name? Jason. Okay. Jason, all right. So he, he brought us in with action. Thank you so much, uh, Robert. And uh, this is the future uh, right. Moment Realty, right?
0: Future owner of Moment Realty right
1: here. He's going to bring us out. Go ahead and just say, cut. Cut. All right. <laughs> all right, thank you, sir. We really appreciate it. Okay. Make sure you reach out to Robert uh moment realty meet him in san antonio let's all eat some tacos buy some more real estate let's do it and we'll see you next time